Section 8 The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner Written by himself by James Hogg This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Logan had never lost the thought of her late master's prediction that heaven would bring to light the truth concerning the untimely death of his son. She perceived that some strange conviction, too horrible for expression, preyed on his mind from the moment that the fatal news reached him to the last of his existence. And in his last ravings, he uttered some incoherent words about justification by faith alone, an absolute and eternal predestination having been the ruin of his house. These, to be sure, were the words of superannuation, and of the last and severest kind of it. But for all that, they sunk deep into Miss Logan's soul, and at last she began to think with herself. Is it possible the Ringhams and the sophisticating wretch who is in conjunction with them, the mother of my late beautiful and amiable young master, can have effected his destruction? If so, I will spend my days and my little patrimony in endeavors to rake up and expose the unnatural deed. In all her outgoings and incomings, Mrs. Logan, as she was now styled, never lost sight of this one object. Every new disappointment only whetted her desire to fish up some particulars concerning it, for she thought so long and so ardently upon it that by degrees it became settled in her mind as a sealed truth. And as a woman is always most jealous of her own sex in such matters, her suspicions were fixed on her greatest enemy, Mrs. Colwain, now the Lady Dalweger of Dal Castle. All was wrapped in a chaos of confusion and darkness, but at last, by dint of a thousand sly and secret inquiries, Mrs. Logan found out where Lady Dalcastle had been on the night that the murder happened, and likewise what company she had kept, as well as some of the comers and goers. And she had hopes of having discovered a clue, which, if she could keep hold of the thread, would lead her through darkness to the light of truth. Returning very late one evening from a convocation of family servants, which she had drawn together in order to fish something out of them. Her maid having been in attendance on her all the evening, they found, on going home, that the house had been broken and a number of valuable articles stolen therefrom. Mrs. Logan had grown quite heartless before this stroke, having been altogether unsuccessful in her inquiries and now she began to entertain some resolutions of giving up the fruitless search. In a few days thereafter, she received intelligence that her clothes and plate were mostly recovered, 
and that she for one was bound over to prosecute the depredator, provided the articles turned out to be hers, as libeled in the indictment, and as a king's evidence had given out. She was likewise summoned, or requested, I know not which, being ignorant of these matters, to go as far as the town of Peebles in Tweedside, in order to survey these articles on such a day, and make affidavit to their identity before the sheriff. She went accordingly, but on entering the town by the north gate, she was accosted by a poor girl in tattered apparel, who with great earnestness inquired if her name was not Mrs. Logan. On being answered in the affirmative, she said that the unfortunate prisoner in the toll booth requested her, as she valued all that was dear to her in life, to go and see her before she appeared in court at the hour of cause, as she, the prisoner, had something of the greatest moment to impart to her. Mrs. Logan's curiosity was excited, and she followed the girl straight to the toll booth, who by the way said to her that she would find in the prisoner a woman of superior mind, who had gone through all the vicissitudes of life. She has been very unfortunate, and I fear very wicked, added the poor thing. But she is my mother, and God knows, with all her faults and failings, she has never been unkind to me. You, madam, have it in your power to save her. But she has wronged you, and therefore, if you will not do it for her sake, do it for mine, and the God of the fatherless will reward you. Mrs. Logan answered her with a cast of the head and a hem, and only remarked that, The guilty must not always be suffered to escape, or what a world must we be doomed to live in. She was admitted to the prison, and found a tall, emaciated figure, who appeared to have once possessed a sort of masculine beauty in no ordinary degree but was now considerably advanced in years. She viewed Mrs. Logan with a stern, steady gaze, as if reading her features as a margin to her intellect, and when she addressed her it was not with that humility and agonized fervor, which are natural for one in such circumstances to address to another who has the power of her life and death in her hands. I am deeply indebted to you for this timely visit, Mrs. Logan, said she. It is not that I value life, or because I fear death, that I have sent for you so expressly. But the manner of the death that awaits me has something peculiarly revolting in it to a female mind. Good God, when I think of being hung up, a spectacle to a gazing, gaping multitude, with numbers of which I have had intimacies and connections, that would render the moment of parting so hideous, that, believe me, it rends to Flinders a soul born for another sphere than that in which it has moved. Had not the vile selfishness of a lordy fiend ruined all my prospects and all my hopes? Hear me, then, for I do not ask your pity. I only ask of you to look to yourself, and behave with womanly prudence, 
If you deny this day that these goods are yours, there is no other evidence whatever against my life, and it is safe for the present. For, as for the word of the wretch who has betrayed me, it is of no avail. He has prevaricated so notoriously to save himself. If you deny them, you shall have them all again to the value of a mite, and more to the bargain. If you swear to the identity of them, the process will, one way and another, cost you the half of what they are worth. And what security have I for that? said Mrs. Logan. You have none but my word, said the other proudly, and that never yet was violated. If you cannot take that, I know the worst you can do. But I had forgot. I have a poor, helpless child without, waiting and starving about the prison door. Surely it was of her that I wished to speak. This shameful death of mine will leave her in a deplorable state. The girl seems to have candor and strong affections, said Mrs. Logan. I grievously mistake if such a child would not be a thousand times better without such a guardian and director. Then will you be so kind as to come to the grass market and see me put down, said the prisoner. I thought a woman would estimate a woman's and a mother's feelings when such a dreadful throw was at stake at least in part. But you are callous, and have never known any feelings but those of subordination to your old unnatural master. Alas, I have no cause of offense. I have wronged you, and justice must take its course. Will you forgive me before we part? Mrs. Logan hesitated, for her mind ran on something else on which the other subjoined. No, you will not forgive me, I see. But you will pray to God to forgive me. I know you will do that. Mrs. Logan heard not this jeer, but looking at the prisoner with an absent and stupid stare, she said, Did you know my late master? Aye, that I did, and never for any good, said she. I knew the old and the young spark both, and was by when the latter was slain. This careless sentence affected Mrs. Logan in a most peculiar manner. A shower of tears burst from her eyes ere it was done, and when it was, she appeared like one bereaved of her mind. She first turned one way and then another as if looking for something she had dropped. She seemed to think she had lost her eyes, instead of her tears, and at length, as by instinct, she tottered close up to the prisoner's face, and looking wistfully and joyfully in it, said, with breathless earnestness, Pray, mistress, what is your name? My name is Arabella Calvert, said the other. Miss, mistress, or widow, as you choose, for I have been all the three, and that not once nor twice only, ay, and something beyond all these. But as for you, you have never been anything. Ay, ay, and so you are Bell Calvert. Well, I thought so, I thought so, said Mrs. Logan, 
and helping herself to a seat, she came and sat down close by the prisoner's knee. So you are indeed Belle Calvert, so called once. Well, of all the world you are the woman whom I have longed and travailed the most to see. But you are invisible, a being to be heard of, not seen. There have been days, madam, returned she, when I was to be seen, and when there were few to be seen like me. But since that time, there have indeed been days on which I was not to be seen. My crimes have been great, but my sufferings have been greater, so great that neither you nor the world can ever either know or conceive them. I hope they will be taken into account by the Most High. Mine have been crimes of utter desperation. But whom am I speaking to? You had better leave me to myself, mistress. Leave you to yourself? That I will be loath to do till you tell me where you were that night my young master was murdered. Where the devil would I was? Will that suffice you? Ah, it was a vile action. A night to be remembered that was. Won't you be going? I want to trust my daughter with a commission. No, Mrs. Calvert, you and I part not till you have divulged that mystery to me. You must accompany me to the other world then, for you shall not have it in this. If you refuse to answer me, I can have you before a tribunal, where you shall be sifted to the soul. Such miserable inanity! What care I for your threatenings of a tribunal? I, who must soon stand before my last earthly one, what could the word of such a culprit avail? Or if it could, where is the judge that could enforce it? Did you not say that there was some mode of accommodating matters on that score? Yes, I prayed you to grant me my life, which is in your power. The saving of it would not have cost you a plaque, yet you refused to do it. The taking of it will cost you a great deal, and yet to that purpose you adhere. I can have no parley with such a spirit. I would not have my life in a present from its motions, nor would I exchange courtesies with its possessor. Indeed, Mrs. Calvert, since ever we met, I have been so busy thinking about who you might be that I know not what you have been proposing. I believe I meant to do what I could to save you, but once for all, Tell me everything that you know concerning that amiable young gentleman's death, and here is my hand. There shall be nothing wanting that I can effect for you. No, I despise all barter with such mean and selfish curiosity, and as I believe that passion is stronger with you than fear with me, we part on equal terms. Do your worst, and my secret shall go to the gallows and the grave with me. Mrs. Logan was now greatly confounded, and after proffering in vain to concede everything she could ask in exchange, for the particulars relating to the murder, she became the suppliant in her turn. But the unaccountable culprit, exulting in her advantage, laughed her to scorn, and finally, in a paroxysm, 
of pride and impatience, called in the jailer and had her expelled, ordering him in her hearing not to grant her admittance a second time on any pretense. Mrs. Logan was now hard put to it, and again driven almost to despair. She might have succeeded in the attainment of that she thirsted for most in life, so easily had she known the character with which she had to deal. Had she known to have soothed her high and afflicted spirit, but that opportunity was past, and the hour of examination at hand. She once thought of going and claiming her articles, as she at first intended, but then, when she thought again of the ringham swaying it at Dahl Castle, where she had been wont to hear them held in such contempt, if not abhorrence, and perhaps of holding it by the most diabolical means, she was withheld from marring the only chance that remained of having a glimpse into that mysterious affair. Finally, she resolved not to answer to her name in the court, rather than to appear and assert a falsehood, which she might be called on to certify by oath. She did so, and heard the sheriff give orders to the officers to make inquiry for Miss Logan from Edinburgh, at the various places of entertainment in town, and to expedite her arrival in court, as things of great value were independence. She also heard the man who had turned King's evidence against the prisoner examined for the second time, and sifted most cunningly. His answers gave anything but satisfaction to the sheriff, though Mrs. Logan believed them to be mainly truth. But there were a few questions and answers that struck her above all others. How long is it since Mrs. Calvert and you became acquainted? About a year and a half. State the precise time, if you please the day or night, according to your remembrance. It was on the morning of the 28th of February, 1705. What time of the morning? Perhaps about one. So early as that? At what place did you meet then? It was at the foot of one of the north winds of Edinburgh. Was it by appointment that you met? No, it was not. For what purpose was it then? For no purpose. How is it that you chanced to remember the day and hour so minutely if you met that woman whom you have accused merely by chance and for no manner of purpose, as you must have met others that night, perhaps to the amount of hundreds in the same way? I have good cause to remember it, my lord. What was that cause? No answer? You don't choose to say what that cause was? I am not at liberty to tell. The sheriff then descended to other particulars, all of which tended to prove that the fellow was an accomplished villain, and that the principal share of the atrocities had been committed by him. Indeed, the sheriff hinted that he suspected the only share Mrs. Calvert had in them was in being too much in his company, and too true to him. The case was remitted to the court of justiciary, but Mrs. Logan had heard enough to convince her 
that the culprits first met at the very spot and the very hour on which George Calwain was slain, and she had no doubt that they were incendiaries set on by his mother to forward her own and her darling son's way to opulence. Mrs. Logan was wrong, as will appear in the sequel, but her antipathy to Mrs. Calwain made her watch the event with all care. She never quitted Peebles as long as Belle Calvert remained there, and when she was removed to Edinburgh, the other followed. When the trial came on, Mrs. Logan and her maid were again summoned as witnesses before the jury, and compelled by the prosecutor for the crown to appear. The maid was first called, and when she came into the witness box, the anxious and hopeless looks of the prisoner were manifest to all. But the girl, whose name she said was Bessie Giles, answered in so flippant and fearless a way that the auditors were much amused. After a number of routine questions, the deputy advocate asked her if she was at home on the morning of the 5th of September last, when her mistress's house was robbed. Was I at hame, say ye? Nah, faith ye, lad. And I had been at hame. There had been mare to dee. I would a hay raised sick a hellock. Where were you that morning? Where was I, say you? I was in the house where my mistress was, sitting, dozing, and half-sleeping in the kitchen. I thought, eh, she would be setting out every minute, for two hours. And when you went home, what did you find? What found we? Be my sooth. We found a broken lock and tomb kits. Relate some of the particulars, if you please. Sir, the thieves did not stand upon particulars. They were hail-sale dealers in our best wares. I mean, what passed between your mistress and you on the occasion? What passed, say ye? Oh, there was not a muckle. I was in a great passion, but she was dung deutrified a wee. When she gave to put the key i the door, up it flew to the fair wa. Bless ye, Jod, what's the meaning of this? quoth she. The near o that I did, quo I, or may my shackle bane never turn another key. When we got the candle lidded, ah, uh, the house was in a hoed road. Bessie, my woman, quoth she, we are baith ruined and undone creatures. The deal a bit, quoth I, that I deny positively. Hmm. To speak o' less o' my age being ruined and undone. I never had muckle except what was within a good jerkin, and let the thief ruin me there let we can. Do you remember aught else that your mistress said on the occasion? Did you hear her blame any person? Uh, she made a great deal of grumpin' and a groanin' about the misfortune as she cat it, and I think she said it was a part of the ruin. Rot by the riggins, or some sick name. They'll hit ya, they'll hit ya, cried she, wringing her hands. Ay, they'll hate in a hell wit, and they'll get them baith, a weel. That's I some satisfaction, quo I. Whom did she mean by the riggins? Do you know? 
I fancy they are some creatures that she has dreamt about, for I think there cannot be ill folks living as she cows them. Did you never hear say that the prisoner at the bar there, Mrs. Calvert, or Belle Calvert, was the robber of her house, or that she was one of the ringins? Never. Somebody told her lately that Belle Calvert robbed her house, but she did not believe it. Neither do I. What reasons have you for doubting it? Because it was nay woman's fingers that broke up the bolts and the locks that were torn open that night. Very pertinent, Bessie. Come then within the bar and look at these articles on the table. Did you ever see these silver spoons before? I hae seen some very like them, and we ever has seen silver spoons has done the same. Can you swear you never saw them before? Nah, nah. I wouldn't swear to only silver spoons that ever wore made, unless I had put a private mark on them, we my ain hand, and that's what I never did to aim. See? They are marked with a C. Say, are all the spoons in Argyle? And the half of them in Edinburgh, I think. Hey, C is a very common letter, and so are the names that begin with. Lay them by, lay them by, and Angie the poor woman her spoons again. They are marked with her a name, and I little doubt that they are hers, and that she has seen better days. Ah, oh, God bless her heart, sighed the prisoner. And that blessing was echoed in the breathings of many a feeling breast. Did you ever see this gown before? Thank you. I had seen and very like it. Could you not swear that gown was your mistress's one? No, unless I saw her at it, and Kanji had paid for it. I am very scrupulous about an oath, like is an ill mark. Say I'll indeed that I would hardly swear to anything. But you say that gown is very like one your mistress used to wear. I never said sick a thing. It is like one I had seen her hay airing out on the hay rape, I the back green. It is very like, and I had seen Mrs. Butler in the grass market wearing too. I rather think it is the same. Bless you, sir. I wouldn't swear to my ain forefinger if it had been as I laid out of my sight and brought in and laid out on that table. Perhaps you are not aware, girl, that this scrupulousness of yours is likely to thwart the purposes of justice and bereave your mistress of property to the amount of a thousand mercs from the judge. I cannot help that, my lord. That's her lookout. For my part, I am resolved to keep a clear conscience, till I be married at any rate. Look over these things, and see if there is any one article among them which you can fix on as the property of your mistress. No, ain't no them, sir, no ain't them. An oath is an awful thing, especially when it is for life or death. Gee the poor woman her things again, and let my mistress pick up the next she finds. That's my advice. When Mrs. Logan came into the box, the prisoner groaned and laid down her head. But how she was astonished 
when she heard her deliver herself something to the following purport. That, whatever penalty she was doomed to abide, she was determined she would not bear witness against a woman's life, from a certain conviction that it could not be a woman who broke her house. I have no doubt that I may find some of my own things there, added she, but if they were found in her possession, she has been made a tool, or the dupe, of an infernal set, who shall be nameless here. I believe she did not rob me, and for that reason I will have no hand in her condemnation. The Judge This is the most singular perversion I have ever witnessed. Mrs. Logan, I entertain strong suspicions that the prisoner or her agents have made some agreement with you on this matter to prevent the course of justice. So far from that, my lord, I went into the jail at Peebles to this woman, whom I had never seen before, and proffered to withdraw my part in the prosecution, as well as my evidence, provided she would tell me a few simple facts. But she spurned at my offer, and had me turned insolently out of the prison, with orders to the jailer never to admit me again on any pretense. The prisoner's counsel, taking hold of this evidence, addressed the jury with great fluency, and finally the prosecution was withdrawn, and the prisoner dismissed from the bar with a severe reprimand for her past conduct and an exhortation to keep better company. End of Section 8